together. If you got your Bibles, head on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, we're going to be looking at, again, verses 1 to 3 this morning as we think about spiritual gifts, and really we're, we're going to spend the next several months talking about spiritual gifts. We're going to spend the next several months in chapters 12, 13, and 14, and uh, the reason being is that's just in part where we are in our series, so as we're walking through 1 Corinthians, we weren't going to get to chapter 12 and skip it, um, but if we're honest, and if you've had any type of experience in the church for any length of time, uh, the, the topic of spiritual gifts is a bit of a hot-button issue. And uh, you might go some places where they just largely ignore the topic and largely ignore the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. You might go to some places and that seems to be everything they might talk about and everything they might focus on. And uh, what we're going to do is try to not err in any extreme Um, but to try to follow what God's Word does, in my opinion, clearly give us as guide rails, guard rails, guiding principles. And uh, this absolutely relates to everything Kevin just spoke about, to everything that we will talk about next week in the town hall, and this idea of organizing ourselves into ministry teams. We have this value of Christ-centered serving, and it's not just a value, it's part of our vision in the sense that if, if we exist as a local church to glorify God by being disciple-making disciples, we think the way that happens is through those four pallets hanging up behind me in front of you. That you need to be here involved in worship. But worship just isn't an event you come to. It's a lifestyle that you live. And what matters, uh, or what you do on Monday, matters as much as what you do here in these moments. We believe that all of you need to be serving. And that God's gifted you for those very places to serve. And we believe that God, through the Holy Spirit, has gifted every believer with gifts to serve the body of Christ. Now that is every believer regardless of age. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift, maybe a couple, and it doesn't matter how old you are. The places to use them may change a little bit as you grow up, if you're young, or some of you have children that are young that are believers, or perhaps you have reached a point in age where you're not able to do as much as you did at one point in time. So that some of the places you exercise those gifts may look different, but you still have gifts. And you've been given those gifts, or at least a gift, by the Holy Spirit to serve and to build the body of Christ. And so we want to be continually asking you, all of you, how do you move from observation to participation? How do you move from observation to participation? So that second question that was just on the screen, how do we all serve in areas that we're passionate about and gifted for, is a tremendously significant question. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ and you've placed your faith and trust in him, you've got gifts to serve and to build the body with. How do you move from observation to participation? Now in that, I want to ask you to be very careful in your thinking that you don't just think of participation as stuff that happens inside the four walls of the church. 
The body of Christ does not exclusively exist here at 250 Philadelphia Avenue. It is a whole lot bigger. It is global. It is local. There are other local churches. There are other believers in our town. When we talk about participation, it is not just exclusively how do you get involved in a program. We're going to have some programs. We're going to talk about some of the specifics of what those will be next week. But when we're thinking about how do we move from observation to participation, it is not just how do all of you find a way to get involved in a program. Some of what we need to be doing, and Kevin hinted at this, is figuring out how do we prioritize relationships over programs in ways that lets you have some margin in your daily lives, in your weekly lives, that lets you serve and build the body of Christ and even be a witness to neighbors. See, there can be this tendency to just find good things to put on the calendar that just always asks everybody to come here. But what that does is that takes all the time that you might have in your day to be there. So we've got to try to figure out what that balance looks like. And that's part of the work that we're doing. And so when we think about, and I ask you the question, how do you move from observation to participation? It's not just how do you find more programs to get involved with. We're going to need some help. We're going to need people willing to teach. We're going to need people willing to serve. There's going to be ministry teams that we're going to be walking through next week. You're going to hear from those ministry team leaders next week. They're going to get an opportunity to introduce themselves. We're going to ask you even to be thinking about how you might immediately respond and give some indication of your willingness to be in and serving in those areas of ministry. But it is not at all our desire to just find more good things to do that just brings consistently everybody here. So how do we prioritize relationships over programs? One, and this didn't show up on what Kevin uh, had for you, but one of the, uh, the answers to the question of what ministry should we add um, was a video game ministry. Be kind of cool. It It was. It was Shane. I wasn't going to say it, but you said it, so there we go. All right, so let's just put this in context, okay? If Shane's got a passion for video game ministry, the question of moving from observation to participation is not how does the church start a video game ministry. It's how do we encourage Shane to go start a video game ministry. How do we give Shane the, the, the coaching and the training and maybe just the, the good old Hey, go get him, kid. You know, and how do we do that in Shane's life that encourages him to go do that? It's a little bit of a different shift in, in focus. And so we want to be thinking about some of those things. We want to be allowing for some margin in our calendars to just allow for some of those things. Because that, that's kind of how the witness thing pulls in as well, where we're all missionaries, where God has placed us. And we want there to be the ability and the time and the training and the coaching and the equipping for you to do that well where God has placed you. He's given gifts. Those gifts are for the serving and the building of the body of Christ. And we need to be asking ourselves, how do we move from observation to participation? Now, what we're going to do here in the next few slides that I got for you is a summary of last week. 
And if you weren't here last week, it is going to feel like we are flying through a lot of information, and it is absolutely true. We are going to fly through a lot of information. In part, because I want to just give you, if you were here last week, another shot at hearing it. Because some of it might have been new or some of the definitions might have been new. But also it matters as we continue to think about spiritual gifts. Because as we launched into the questions of what are spiritual gifts, we spent a lot of our time last week talking about what they are not. That's important as we try to understand what it is they are, how they apply, and how God intends for them to be used. And so I just want to think through some of these major positions about spiritual gifts that exist within the church. These might be terms that you've heard before. They might be terms that you've not heard before, um, but they might be helpful to write down. The first position there is what's called the cessationist position. And as it relates to spiritual gifts, they would say some of the gifts are available. And it's really the list in 1 Corinthians 12 that there would be debate over. And so they would look at that list in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8, 9, and 10, and they would go, well, okay, these couple gifts, they still are for today, but these gifts aren't for today anymore, and those gifts are, and those gifts aren't. And, and there, there's not really a rhyme or reason within the, the, the verses themselves, but for those that hold that position, they see some of the gifts as sign gifts, And that might be another term that you've heard if you've kind of been around or been listening to the conversation about spiritual gifts for any period of time. That you have sign gifts and you have edifying gifts. And the gifts are given two different categories. And the sign gifts then are thought to be what the apostles did throughout the book of Acts. What Jesus is said to have done during his ministry. What is termed signs and wonders. And so they would say, well, the apostles were the ones that did signs. Jesus was the one that did signs. These sign gifts were restricted to those groups. And so these gifts no longer are for today, but these edifying gifts are. So that's the cessationist position. Then you have the charismatic position, which is a really difficult one to kind of nail down because it subdivides. And there you've got some of the subdivisions. As it relates big picture to spiritual gifts, all of the gifts are available today within the umbrella of the charismatic position. So they would look at chapter 12, verses 8, 9, and 10, and they'd go, well, all the gifts are available today. And then the subdivisions begin to nuance that a little bit and give some further detail here and there. And not all of those subdivisions agree with themselves. It's Part of the reason why they're subgroups. So you've got the Pentecostal group, which is going to place a heavy emphasis on what's just called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit because you speak in tongues. And that's how you are confirmed to have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there's some, there's some problems theologically there. We'll get there in a couple weeks, so I'm not going to address any of them this morning. But that's really what your Pentecostal church is going to place the emphasis on as it relates to gifts. Your charismatic church, they're largely going to draw their roots to the charismatic movement that happened uh, a few decades ago. They're going to say all spiritual gifts are available, but they're not nearly placing the same type of emphasis 
um, on the baptism of the Spirit or speaking on, in tongues as the Pentecostal church would, but they would still say all the spiritual gifts are available. And then there's this kind of new term that's emerged here in the last decade, 15 years or so, called the continuationists. And they are the group that believes that all the gifts are available, um, but they're really uncomfortable with the what I have termed the uses or abuses of the gifts. So the continuationist is going to agree that the gifts are available, but they're going to say, well, Pentecostal, we got to chat about this baptism of the Spirit thing. And we got to have some conversations there because that doesn't seem to line up with Scripture. I told you last week that continuation camp is where I would place myself, and that's just what I'm contending as we walk through these chapters uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, because I think it's faithful to the text there. And then you have another major group that's recently emerged, again within the past decade or so, called the New Apostolic Reformation. They would say all spiritual gifts are available, but there is a heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis on signs and wonders that this group places. They're miracle chasers. They are those that have been described by others as charismaniacs. It's a bit of a pejorative term. It it might even be a bit of an insult, but it's kind of the off the rails charismatic group, this new apostolic reformation, Um, uh, musical artists like Jesus Culture, Bethel Music, they would be a part of that, a very, very integral part of that. There are supernatural schools that exist that are a part of this new apostolic reformation. Um, And one of the things they also do that's that's not directly related to spiritual gifts is they believe and contend that there are still today apostles and prophets like Paul, like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, like Ezekiel. And those men are still hearing from God new scripture that is to be obeyed and submitted to like you would have here. And there's, there's a lot of things to be alarmed about. There's a lot of things to be aware of. And just kind of as it relates to that whole group as a whole, I would just say stay away. You have the Karis Fellowship then, the Grace Brethren position. And we don't really have a position. We say in our statement of faith that the Holy Spirit gives gifts, and that's as far as we go. And so there's not any further detail place to are all gifts available or are some gifts available what do we do with that and I would say by and large your perhaps traditional grace brethren perspective um, would have been the cessationist one but I, I think that's changing and I don't just say that because I've had a few things to say about it um, just in talking to people within our fellowship I think that's changing and there, there is a desire to think about these things um, and go back to the text and ask some questions to try to more faithfully understand not just whether or not the gifts are available or not, but how do we use them and what do they look like? Because we may conclude they're, un- they're available, but we're still pretty uncomfortable with how they get used down the road or how we might see them used on a YouTube clip here and there. And so we, there's still work to be done. 
And, and I'm not promising clarity on all of that. Hopefully we can get clarity on some of it. So what we're trying to do is to think through what spiritual gifts are and what they are not. Let's just real quickly fly through signs and wonders because that is a biblical term. It's an important term and it's one that I would say is only limited to the apostles and three specific other men for a specific reason. So to just define some words, you've got the word signs means an event with special meaning. And throughout the New Testament, that word signs is used to refer to miraculous events and non-miraculous events. And so Jesus gets asked, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Well, the Pharisees are saying, do something cool. Blow our minds. Turn water to wine again. Like, heal somebody. Show us that you are the Son of God. Um, But a non-miraculous sign was Mary wrapping the baby in swaddling clothes. There's nothing miraculous about Mary just putting a blanket around the baby Jesus, but the shepherds were told this would be a sign for you. When Judas kisses Jesus, he, he had said to the religious leaders and the soldiers, the man I kiss will be the sign that he's the right man. There's nothing miraculous about Judas giving Jesus a peck on the cheek, but it served as a sign. You have the word wonders, which means an astonishing event that transcendentally defies reality. That's a big word for you. That one will uh, that'll work well this afternoon with the kids. Be like, do you know transcendentally? And uh, that's what wonders is. Think miracles. Think things that just kind of defy the natural laws that are outside of the way God has ordered and and just normally sustains the world and universe to function. And there you have wonders. When used together, they appear 15 times in the New Testament. And there's two functions that are given to this term. The first is it's a characteristic of the Antichrist. And Jesus said false apostles and false prophets are going to come with signs and wonders. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, when the Antichrist comes, he's coming with signs and wonders. It's a characteristic of those who are against the Lord. And for the apostles and for three other men, it confirmed the authority of the gospel message and the messenger. The disciples gathered with Jesus right before he ascended in heaven. And Luke records it for us in the first chapter of the book of Acts. And they said, Jesus, um, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, now you guys got it all backwards. You're actually going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. And Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And they began to do that. And the Holy Spirit came upon them in the upper room. And 120 individuals were filled with the Spirit. And they went out and and 3,000 people got saved and baptized in a day. And it was an amazing, amazing moment in the life of the early church. And you have then throughout the beginning pages of Acts a record of those who used or performed signs and wonders and you've got Moses as a reference back to the Old Testament I've mentioned the Antichrist I've mentioned Jesus we've talked about the apostles but then Stephen Philip and Barnabas hop onto the scene and their ministries are recorded in Acts 6 Acts 8 and Acts 14 and those are the three men who were not apostles 
but are credited to perform signs and wonders. And I believe their action of performing signs and wonders was in direct fulfillment of Jesus' command that the gospel would go out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And they were the first. They were the ones who first went. And so there was a confirmation of this gospel message and them as messengers. Stephen, speaking and performing signs and wonders to a Jewish audience, he ends up losing his life as a result of it. Philip, going to Samaria. And Barnabas with the Gentiles, we might say the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's a little bit of how signs and wonders relate to spiritual gifts. Signs and wonders are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are spiritual gifts. Signs and wonders happened. They had a limited usefulness, in my opinion. I believe they died out at the, at, with the death of the last apostle, which would have been John, sometime after he wrote the book of Revelation. And what we now have, what the Holy Spirit now does, is empower spiritual gifts in the church to serve and to build the body of Christ. So last week we looked specifically at the point that spiritual gifts are not signs and wonders. I would say the term sign gifts is not a helpful term. Let's use the term spiritual gifts. And this morning we're going to chat a little bit about what is the purpose then of spiritual gifts. To answer that question, we've also got to ask another one, and it's this, what is my purpose? And we'll look at 1 Corinthians 3 here together, and 1 Corinthians 8, and we'll just kind of kind of remind ourselves what we've already looked at in the book of 1 Corinthians regarding what our purpose is as believers, because spiritual gifts fits right into that. And I think we'll see some clarity there. And I think we'll see how God gifts us for what we're called for. So before we go any further, let's pray. And then we'll continue answering these next two questions here. Well, God, we pray that you would come and give clarity and help us understand and help us see and help us learn and know but God far from this just being an an academic exercise God I pray that this be be one that that's just transforming I mean we want to be transformed every time we open your word and every time we hear from you and so God we pray that that your spirit would be free to do that in our in in us individually and in us collectively that we would be different because we have met with you And so, God, we're asking for that, and we're praying you help us see clearly what it is that you want us to see, and God, I pray that you would help me to teach clearly what it is that you've said, and that I wouldn't go beyond what you've said, and I wouldn't make up my own stuff, but would just be faithful to what you have said. And so, God, to that end, we ask these things in Jesus' name, and for his glory, amen. So asking my purpose is really an important question for us and what we have and what we've tried to clarify just even as a church as it relates to our mission statement is that we exist for the glory of God to be disciple-making disciples. We exist to glorify God and make disciple-making disciples. So what is my purpose? It's to glorify God and to make disciples. Well, the book of 1 Corinthians actually uses the word building and builders and build all over the place to just talk about that very idea. 
And so what is my purpose? Well, believers have been called to build up the body. How do spiritual gifts relate to that then? Believers are gifted to build up the body. So I want you to see that you you and I have been called to do something. In the book of Matthew, at the very end, it's to make disciples. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the language is building. We've been called to build. We've been called to this mission of making disciples, making disciples, of building up the body of Christ. And then we are gifted to do just that. So let's just pause for a moment and just kind of highlight the fact that God gifts us to obey what he calls us to. He gives us this mission, but does not leave us floundering without adequate resources to go and accomplish the task. He gives us what we need to accomplish the task by gifting us to build up the body. Now there's a couple things culturally that are going to work against us in this. And the first is the, the consistent message within our culture that you and I exist to be consumers. We exist to be takers, not builders. And so you can see this work itself out all over the place in culture. You can see this if you just walk down the cereal aisle at the grocery store. It's like the worst aisle to take a two or three year old down. And there's a hundred choices. What am I going to buy? Well, we know what they want. Whatever's colorful and has lots of sugar. But it's because we've been told and culture reinforces we are consumers. Well, if we're not careful, that creeps into society. It absolutely also creeps in to the church. Just think back with me. I wasn't alive, but you can find clips of it. Uh, JFK's inaugural speech, the famous line from that, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Let's put this in the language of building and taking. Don't be a taker. Be a builder. And that, that's what he said. Society will function better if you approach it as something, as someone to give something rather than consume something. But we just have to realize that you and I as consumers is reinforced every day and then our individual preferences are catered to in that and it's called marketing. And so there are Hundreds of different fast food restaurants that allow you to pick exactly what type of food you want to go and consume. And if you don't want Taco Bell, you don't have to eat Taco Bell. When we were out in Indiana, we went out to lunch um, with some friends of ours. And they have a big family. They're actually the family that's come and visited us a time. Um, And they got eight kids and it's just a lot of fun to hang out with them. And we went to Taco Bell. Right across the, par- the parking lot from Taco Bell is Burger King. Half of them went to Burger King to buy Burger King and bring it back to Taco Bell. And it's, it's great. Where it's not great is when that type of idea begins to work itself into the life of the church. And we begin to focus on what are my preferences and how are my preferences getting met. And when I start to come and I come as a taker. And not a builder, the focus has shifted inward and not outward. And I'm not actually pursuing what I've been called to. In that sense, don't expect your spiritual gifts to even have a place to be used if your focus is you. 
there can even be a temptation to try to build ministry around certain preferences. And when I was in youth ministry back in Indiana, we never had the resources to pull this off, but some of the example ministries that my training and college professors would take us to were ministries that did everything, and they did everything they could to just isolate the students. And so we're going to have we're going to have a youth group worship service and they're going to get their own building and they're going to get their own band and they've got their own pastor and they've got all of these own things and 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 on the face of it it sounds awesome. Because what a better way to connect with students than to not ever ask them to connect with adults. Just give them what they want. Cater to their preferences. Have the latest and greatest multimedia. I mean, there, there's a church in our fellowship that put about a half million dollars in the sound system of their student building. But what happens is that if you just begin doing that, you just recondition and reemphasize this idea of being a consumer and a taker and not a giver and not a servant. And culture does that already. The church has got to work hard against that. So intergenerational ministry is hard. Because there are perhaps in this room 50 or 60 different musical preferences. Some are going to range generationally. Some are going to range just by genre. And somehow we got to cut through all of that and focus on Jesus in ways that might not connect with any of you as your preference, that's hard. But we come to not be consumers, we come to be givers. We don't come to be takers, we come to be builders. The other cultural thing working against us is the idea that what matters more than anything else is whether or not you or I have fun. Now, I'm not against fun, contrary to what my kids might say at times. I'm not against fun, but that cannot be the overarching way and method by which we evaluate anything. And I catch, my, I catch myself all the time doing that, and you might as well. And I think, quite frankly, we've got to work really hard at, at helping our children and our, and our students figure out how to evaluate things outside of the context of was it fun or not, and if you let it, culture is going to define fun for you in ways that reinforces that your preferences should be number one over all. So if you go to something and you weren't catered to, it wasn't as fun if you went to something and you were the main focus. But we don't gather as consumers whose preferences are to be pleased above anything else. We don't gather necessarily as those who want to just find fun more than anything else. About a year ago, I was up at Carrie's folks' house with the family, and I went for a run, and I got back, and my mother-in-law was like, did you have fun? I was like, no, it was terrible. But I enjoyed it. And I feel like that every time I go for a run. It's awful, but I enjoyed it. If we're not careful when we drive home today, hey, did you guys have fun today? I'd encourage you, don't let that be the first question to ask. Now let's try to put both of those things together. Here's what I would tell you should be the questions that you work hard, fight hard to ask yourself 
and your children and your students as you drive home. Did I get to serve and encourage somebody today? Was I a builder? Let that be the first question that you ask. Did you serve and encourage someone today? Were you a builder? Because the opposite of that is to be a taker. But you've been called to be a builder. You've been gifted to be a builder. And so let's ask that question. When you come to this place on a Sunday morning, or we come to things that the church does, or you engage in a program the church has, is the question you come with, how will I get to serve? How will I get to encourage? Who might I build? It's a reorientation to a lot of the ways culture is going to tell us to define life. Perhaps even a reorientation to some ways that the church has often, and not just our church, I'm talking about the big American church, has often defined what ministry looks like. But as you drive home and when you're around the table today, fight hard to not just say, did you have fun in kids' worship today? Let the question maybe be, who'd you get to serve and encourage today? The second one that I would give you is, did you hear from God through his word today sometimes when you hear from God through his word and he convicts there's not a lot of fun happening in that moment but there is significance and so if all we do is say we want fun then we're going to just actually naturally slide away from wanting to hear from God and his word because it's a double-edged sword that's coming to cut and reveal but also heal and equip. Did you have fun? Well, no. But it mattered. There was significance. Maybe even on the backside, you can say, I enjoyed it. It was a hard season of life, but I saw what God did. And I'm more joyful because of what He's done in me through that hard season of life. So we're called to build up the body, and we are gifted to build up the body. So let's kind of fly through some of this. And we're not reading all of this text, but what I did was bold and underline in 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul uses the word build in some form or another. It's the Greek word oikodoma. It literally means house roof. I tell you that because you can go down the Martin's supermarket aisle and you can find Danon Oikos yogurt. It's Greek yogurt. It's this word that means in part building. We're called to build. 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You can, you can know a few things and be a jerk. Or you can put that knowledge to use in ways that serve other people, and you build. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and 24, it doesn't really get much clearer than this. And this is not revolving around spiritual gifts yet. We're still getting there. This is just about our job to build up the body. All things are lawful, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So here then's the command. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Let no one be a taker, but a giver, a builder. 
That's the idea here. So believers are called to build up the body and believers are gifted to build up the body. So as we think about the purpose of spiritual gifts, there you have three things that fits the purpose of what spiritual gifts are. The first is that they are for the common good. The second is they are for building up. And the third is they are for equipping. That word common good just means advantage or benefit. So let's try to just just understand this as clearly as possible. Spiritual gifts are given to you for somebody else. Spiritual gifts are not given to you for you. You are not the point of your spiritual gifts. Somebody else is. You are not the main person that's going to benefit from the use of your spiritual gifts. Somebody else will. They are given to you for other people. And so if you have been given gifts and you don't ever use them for the benefit of anybody else, you don't have any benefit. They are given to you for someone else, for the common Good. I want to put one of the verses we just looked at back on the screen. Well, there you can see in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, just the idea, the language, common good. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, we looked at just a minute ago at 1 Corinthians 10, 3. All things are lawful, but all things are not helpful. The reason why common good and helpful there are bolded and underlined is that it's the same word gets put into our English Bibles a little differently. But all things are lawful, but all things are not for the common good. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So let each one not look at his own interest, but the interests of others. You see how these things work in tandem. Believers are called to build up the body, and you are gifted to do just that. And your gifts are for the common good. They are not for you. They are for someone else. God has given them to you so that you can serve and build his body and serve and build someone else. In 1 Corinthians 14, the idea of building emerges Again, we're not going to read this text. We will, pl- we will spend plenty of time in 1 Corinthians 14 when we try to get our minds wrapped around what the spiritual gifts of tongues is. We'll get there here in a little while. But there you again can see the emphasis on building. Spiritual gifts are also for equipping. And this passage is from Ephesians Four, you can see the word building and builds shows up there as well. The word equipping, and here in Ephesians 4, it's only used one time, this particular word, and it has the idea in secular Greek of setting a bone. A word very closely related to this is used in Matthew chapter 4, and it talks about the disciples mending their nets. The idea there is putting things in order so they can be as effective as possible. If your nets aren't mended, the fish are going to swim away, regardless if you got the net around them or not. If your bone isn't set correctly upon breaking it, it's not going to heal correctly and will not be effective as it was designed and intended to be. That's the idea of equipping here. 
And Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the body for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body. This is a critically important text as we think about what just even your role is, what my role is, what the role of the leaders here at the church is. And so I want you to think back to that example of video game ministry that we talked about a little bit earlier. It is not my role to figure out how to start a video game ministry to reach people that play video games. It's my role to figure out how to equip a guy that's got some passions and some skill and some gifts to go do that. And this ministry here in Ephesians 4, again, please do not just think programs. It's my job to help equip you to be effective in sharing your faith with your coworkers and your neighbors. It's my job and it's the job of our leaders here to equip you to be effective in serving. To be effective in the work of the ministry. And this is for the saints. This is for all those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, there's this, there's this tendency, this kind of tension that we got to hold if you will. Intention's a good thing when it's held correctly. I can never say to you, I'm the senior pastor, just let me do it. Because I'm all of a sudden not equipping. But you can never say to me, you're the senior pastor, just do it. Because all of a sudden you're not being equipped. I may not be the best one to come to the hospital room and visit somebody. Some of you might have gifts of shepherding and care and, and, and just a natural personality that is just perfect for that moment. That's okay. Because those works of ministry is what the saints are supposed to do. Not just the guy that gets paid. We got to hold that intention. You got to be careful to not fall off on one side or the other because this is not ever intended to have been a non participatory endeavor. The body of Christ has been intended and designed from day one to be all hands on deck all engaged, all building, all serving. We're going to try to make some of those shifts here as we even talk about ministry teams next week a little further and what that looks like. And Kevin mentioned the language of we don't want to be a top-down, we're commanding and dictating. We want, to, we want to get the right people in the room and we want to give them freedom and we want to give them permission and we want to give them resources and we want to equip them to lead. Because God's gifted you to do that. He's impassioned some of you to do that and we need you to do that. We are called to build up the body of Christ. We are gifted to build up the body of Christ. And spiritual gifts are for the common good. 
They are for building up of the body, and they are for equipping. So as we wrap up, three questions to just kind of get your mind thinking. Because I know at this point in the last two weeks, I've not actually defined any specific spiritual gift whatsoever. And we're not going to get there for another two weeks. So come like mid-September, we'll actually start defining the gifts specifically. But here's just a couple questions. Just be thinking about it, all right? I actually don't think going on the internet and finding a spiritual gifts test is going to be that helpful for you. So here's perhaps how you might find some ways to think through these things. What areas of serving do you most enjoy? What do you just really enjoy doing? Maybe it's a group of individuals you enjoy serving. Maybe, maybe you love kids and serving kids. Maybe you don't love kids and serving kids. What area do you most enjoy serving? Where have you felt most utilized or effective? Well, like, I, I do this, and I feel like I do it well, and I'm good at it, and there's a benefit that I give to other people when I do that. What, what are those areas in your lives? And the, and the inverse is true there as well. I mean, when, when you do something, and, and maybe, maybe you're there to do it, and maybe you love to do it, and you're more than willing to do it, but it's just like, wasn't my sweet spot, but it needed to be done, and I was glad to fill that hole, you could kind of go and ask that question in both ways. But where have you felt most effective and utilized? And thirdly, what have others noticed in you that they've spoken to you about hey when you do this it's really cool to watch that response or here's how you served and blessed me in my life and you might not even have known it but you 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 did this and it it met a need for me or it it it, whatever it might be some of figuring out our spiritual gifts is just by asking people that know us to help us figure out what they might be. So where do you enjoy serving most? Where have you been most effective? And where have other people said, you got, you got some things to offer there? Those are three questions to maybe just kind of help keep priming the pump. The band's going to come up as we close. And as they do, would you pray with me? God, we... Pray that you'd help us to keep thinking about these things in ways that are others-oriented. That we would think about the, the calling that you have given us to build up the body. And God, we would recognize that you have gifted us to do just that. And so, God, help us to be obedient to the call. And help us to be dependent on the gifts. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.